The Lord has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Maybe for some of you, this is one of your life verses. One of those passages in scripture where you hear it and you say, yes, that is what describes me. Or that is what I want my life and my purpose to be about. This is who I want to be on my best days. And for years, especially in junior high, this was one of mine. It is one of mine. Micah 6.8. One of those you memorize and you could quote at the drop of a hat. And as often happens with memorable verses like Micah 6.8, we lift it out of the context of scripture where, where it is and we let it stand on its own. We apply it to situations and circumstances that are happening in our own lives, giving it our context, which is a good and right and important thing to do, to let the scriptures come alive in our own day and our own time, offering guidance and comfort and challenge and support. But from time to time, it's also a good and right and important thing to put that verse back in its original context, especially ones that are so powerful, like this one, so that we deepen our reflection and our appreciation of these texts. And we allow ourselves again to be led by the living word of God. So that's what we did on Tuesday with our weekly free-for-all group reflecting on Micah 6.8 as well as the seven verses that came before it, which was so great, especially for me, because in my love of the eighth verse, I'd forgotten about the seven before it. I had forgotten about the controversy that surrounds this verse. In this passage, the prophet Micah creates a scene, asks his hearers to imagine a lawsuit in ancient Israel more than 700 years before the time of Christ. And he paints a picture of a natural courtroom. And we live in the mountains, so it's not hard for us to imagine an outdoor setting of court where we've got the mountains in the distance, the running streams and trees bearing witness to the arguments between God and the people. So in this courtroom, God is the judge and the prosecutor, and the people are the accused. All of creation, even the enduring foundations of the earth, are present to hear the case. And while we're not exactly clear on what Micah's role is in this drama, He's the one who tells us what transpires. Perhaps he's the defense attorney who, in the end, advises his client, the people, to do what will satisfy the court. Or maybe he's just an onlooker, wise enough to recall the saving acts of God and remember the very simple things 
that God wants in response to all that God has done for the people. For Israel had fallen to the temptations that come in every age, to every people, when they get a little money. God's case against the people is that Israel's economic boom under the reigns of King Uzziah and King Jotham did secure their political clout in the region, set them up well. But with the nation's increased prosperity came a strong current of egotistic materialism that coincided with the mistreatment of the poor by the ruling elite. And I am talking about Israel, right? That doesn't happen today. The neglect of the poor and a failure to practice justice were offenses against the holiness code, which forbade the mistreatment of those who are economically disadvantaged, like immigrants and widows, the orphans. And it's from this code, the holiness code, which is most of Leviticus, that Jesus quotes when he says, you will love your neighbor as yourself. So it's important to remember the controversy, the disputes that were going on between God and the people. Because without this dispute, I don't know if there would have been the command to do justice, to love kindness and walk humbly with God. Because that's what the people would have been doing all along. But they weren't. They had forgotten the story of where they came from. And God pleads with them in heartfelt bewilderment to explain how they could have forgotten their story, forgotten their history with the God of liberation. What we have are people who have fallen out of right relationship, out of right memory with their God and with one another. So God speaks through Micah about this controversy of memory, identity, and purpose. God remembers the story. God knows who God is and the work that God intends to do in the world. But the people seem to have forgotten. So now Micah is calling the people to remember once again and get back into right relationship with God. And that calling That's repentance. That's a call to change your behavior, change your actions. And that in a little bit is controversial because it means people need to admit they're not doing it right. What they've been doing is not pleasing and acceptable to God. And no one likes to admit that they're wrong. It's worth noting, I think, that the people don't ask how they can rearrange their lives. So they can stop oppressing the poor and learn to share generously with one another. If they're anything like people today, they probably think they're doing pretty much what they should do. They probably think they are very dedicated in their religious observance and are faithful. They just maybe need to do more of the same. So they come up with some quick fix technical solutions 
trying to appease the Lord. They suggest bringing more of the stuff, the external stuff, hoping God would be distracted by the smell of sacrificial barbecue or appeased by buckets and buckets of the finest olive oil. And maybe even repulsed as we are by the idea of human sacrifice, taking it to an extreme, all so they could continue forgetting their story in favor of making themselves great again in their own eyes. But Micah comes in and says it is not enough to be observant if that only applies to religious things and doesn't include your heart or your whole self for that matter. Micah stops any further excuses with three verbs and three nouns. All God wants is do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Three little rules. Three little words. Do, love, walk. This list of directives that the whole of the law and the prophets and Jesus of Nazareth lift up as components of a faithful life in right relationship with God. And these three words make me think of another set of three words, this time from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, where he writes, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul says the last word is the most important. It's the greatest. He saves that word as if to hold up the other two. That without love, faith, and hope aren't quite on the same foundation, on a sure foundation. So here, with Micah of do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, walk humbly with God is last. So it's the most important. It's the foundation that justice and kindness rest on. And I guess that kind of makes sense. That when you learn to walk with God, then you're rightly practicing justice and loving kindness. A commentator I read this week, William P. Brown, says that walking humbly, though, is not a lonely path. Rather, it's the path of the worshiping community both past and present. And we need a community to help us find and stay on that path. For true faith is not a private affair. It's not a pleasant stroll on the beach, just you and God walking along. Because what God requires is a life of engagement with others in the quest for justice and mercy and kindness in a world that doesn't recognize those things as valuable. If our foundational call is to walk humbly with God together, let's return to God's question to the people and let it be our question for pondering today. If God said to us, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? 
In what have I wearied you? What collective memories might God remember and call on to help us do what is required? Might God remember to us that Providence Baptist Church was founded in the imagination of the Holy Spirit who calls and equips all people to minister, to be a particular and even peculiar congregation where women especially are seen and valued and respected as leaders and preachers and ministers in their own right. Might God also remember that when the local Baptist Association shut their doors to a congregation who had the audacity to call a woman as their pastor, another Baptist Association out of Charlotte flung wide their doors in welcome and support and encouragement, giving us the same kindness and inclusion we sought to offer to others in our own community. In God's remembering, might we discover that we've been valuing and measuring ourselves based on our budget, our proverbial buckets of oil, or the number of people in attendance on Sunday mornings as proof of how willing we are to sacrifice our time and busy schedules? What about the things and even people we've maybe neglected because we prioritize doing what we think is good because we've always done it without stopping to ask God if it's what's good for us to do now. Instead of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, might God say, I sent you Gail and Julie and now Mary and remind us that regardless of who this pastor is, we are called to be a congregation gathered in the name and spirit of Jesus, who saw each person as a human being and called them by their true names, blessed and beloved. So how shall we worship the Lord? We have heard, O oh people, what the Lord requires of us to leave empty talk and pride behind. We must walk the talk and prepare to step out in faith, even into troubled waters. Only God knows where we might need to go. So don't be afraid. Jesus will guide our steps along the way, teaching us to walk humbly, to love boldly, and to serve God with body, soul, mind, and strength. So let us pray for the humility and the courage to follow where the Spirit leads. Amen.